Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your hustle and Kate like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, known as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. Noel, we're recording in the afternoon i have energy and you have at least some energy this is going to be strange it is going to be strange uh as our dedicated listeners know we've been recording at terrible hours (laughs) really for the past month (laughs) or i've been like knocked out with a cold or we've been like on a tentative like connection and trying to keep things shorter for for technical reasons and internet reasons um but yeah so I'm very excited for our episode today, just because, like, this, after all of that, back to normal feels great. And I'm just going to do an NPR voice the entire time. I'm going to get real close to the microphone. Real close. Real close to the mic. very softly. Yeah. (laughs) About the speechless cancellation being disappointing, but not unexpected. That yeah, good? that sounds is about that, right. That, yeah, well, I mean, it's no, that's good. The levels are good. The news isn't good, but the no. but but like you said, not unexpected. Um, the that that broke today as we were as we were planning the episode a little bit and, and chatting, and uh, yeah, I, I I'm gonna miss the show. I'm glad I I actually had one episode of it lingering on my DVR that I had forgotten about, so I got to watch the prom episode. Um, oh, nice! Which was a good one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so this week as I was catching up on some of my tv but um yeah it's bittersweet but at least it got a third season and i think everyone involved can be really proud with the show that they put out um very consistent very strong and i look forward to seeing uh you know and following what the creators do next and hopefully i will see all of these actors popping up more frequently on my tv uh i mean even just character like or sorry character and actor like john ross bowie to like it's been wonderful to see him do something other than that annoying character on big bang you yes. know yeah to actually play like an adult uh so i'm so i'm looking forward to seeing what all of these people do next and we will miss you speechless um i'm just trying to focus on being grateful that we got three seasons of them at least and we should be and this was a show that was really confident like right out of the gate they were mm-hmm. taking really big swings in season one um from a creative confidence sort of perspective of like oh you feel good enough to do that and you did it real well and i think that that's one of the big things to remember about the show but the other thing to remember is that this is really like the first show and maybe even the first like property that really understood how to use mini driver really well um And that is also something to be celebrated because it was like, oh, yeah, Mini Driver is good. It's just hard to find the right vehicle for her sometimes. And then this was it. Yeah. I mean, I enjoyed her on About a Boy, don't get me wrong. And I will always have some time for Mini Driver. But yeah, they really like channeled a lot of her strengths and in like really worked and honed Maya to to play to, to many of her comedic strengths. And it was just so fun to watch her fully commit to this kind of a character, this uh big of a character. Yeah. And of course, because you have someone as as talented uh as Minnie Driver, she can then pull things back in when she needs to. Um which is part of what, you know, the the flexibility of of that and ensemble to do that regularly and consistently is what what made the show so so fun to watch and follow through its three seasons. So uh Speechless, we will miss you. Thank you for three delicious and 
hilarious and delightful seasons. Um, there will be more cancellations and renewals uh, coming in the next few weeks. I imagine at some point we'll do like a roundup. That was the big yeah. one for me this week. Um, yeah, pass- Fox canceled Passage, which was mm-hmm. the Mark Pargosler series that got really good reviews. And like one of the few broadcasts, new broadcast shows that was legitimately well received. And they also spent a lot of money on it. They shot like multiple pilots for this. Um, and I imagine the, like the merger had something to do with it. And, um, let's see what else. Oh, CW picked up the Nancy Drew show. And Batwoman. Yeah. And the Riverdale spinoff with Lucy Hale as well. Um, all three of those got picked up for series orders. Um, Batwoman was not a surprise. And Nancy Drew is like, CBS really wants this show to happen somehow. (laughs) (laughs) Just not with Sarah Shahi, apparently. Yeah, but I do want more Sarah Shahi on my TV. uh, Mm. Hopefully getting something interesting to play, because after Root, I'm not going to take very much like of this. uh, What The the kind of stuff she's usually handed is so much less interesting. So, um, yeah, hopefully we get some more from her. Uh, yeah, but but right now I think we should head into our, our weekend TV because otherwise we'll just head down the, the spiral of various uh, cancellations and, and renewals of, of which I feel like we've hit the, the main ones. But yeah, especially like all the CW shows are wrapping up in the next couple of weeks. And so knowing going into all those finales that we do have a Batwoman ready to pick up the baton or the, the quiver, I guess, from from Arrow yeah. is uh, it is a little reassuring, but... We have a different superhero premiere this week. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is back, and we'll talk about that a bit in our Weekend TV. But our spotlight this week is on Rami Season 1, which is available on Hulu, which I feel like people were talking about this more like several weeks ago, like three, four weeks ago. But we got around to it now, and and, uh, we'll have our thoughts at the end of the episode. It was certainly one that I was glad people had pointed me to, because I I I completely missed it. I would not have found it. It was not being, like... Uh, targeted towards me as far as the algorithms and various search things so i was glad to to seek that out yeah hulu was pushing this a little bit on me uh while i was watching one punch man Mm -hmm. so i was kind of aware of it but i was glad that we carved out the time to watch this yeah so we'll have again like we said thoughts on that at the end of the episode but for now let's head to our weekend tv and uh, we'll be right back after this i don't know only god knows where the story That was No More Drama by Mary J. Blige, because uh, you know I wasn't going to use No Scrubs after this week's Drag Race lip sync. Oh, they used No Scrubs? No, uh, more on that in, in in a little bit here, listeners. Noel hasn't seen it yet, uh, so I'm going to stay vague, but 
more on that in a minute. First up in our week in DV, Noel's going to check in with the finale of Mom, Crazy Hair in a Teeny Tiny Part of Canada. Uh, then I caught up with what we do in the shadows in time for the trial. I will be very vague in my reaction to that, but we'll talk both of us about like catching up on the show until that point. Then we've got uh drag race this week was bring back my Queens or bring back my queen. There's an exclamation point guys is what I'm saying. I, I can't do a RuPaul, so I'm not going to really commit to that. Uh, Noel's going to check in with killing Eve, smell you later. And of course, I zombie is back. So the premiere was last week. Thug death. And this week is deadlift. Then I've talked, I'm going to talk a bit about the, uh, agents of shield season six premiere missing pieces. And of course, a, a few thoughts on game of Thrones, the last of the Starks. And we'll wrap things up with legends of tomorrow. Nip stuck. It's, it's so good. It's just so good. Um, okay, so first up is the finale for Mom. And what did you think of Crazy Hair in a Teeny Tiny Part of Canada? It was good. Um, Mom is at, as it finishes season six and perhaps, oh, and and it will enter its seventh season and then its eighth season because CBS picked it up for two additional seasons back in February. Um, doesn't really have to do a whole lot anymore, I think. And so this finale kind of has that vibe of, all right, we're going to say goodbye to recurring guest star Yvette Nicole Brown, which is sad face, Mm. um, because she's fabulous on this show. Um, but she's no longer going to be Christie's sponsor going forward, which is sad, but it also means that they can refocus on Christie's relationship with Marjorie, which I'm excited about. Uh, but also that Bonnie and oh dear, what's his name? I can't. I can never remember his name. Um, Adam. Then now that Bonnie and Adam are like officially married now. Um, oh yay! Yeah, <laughs> I don't watch the show, but that still makes me happy. <laughs> yeah, and it's and it's nice. Like they had like a little shotgun wedding, um, like in a spur of the moment sort of thing. Um, and then they everyone got mad at them because they had a shotgun wedding. And so they had another wedding in his bar and it was just really nice. It was really sweet. I don't know if like they thought that this is what they were going to do for the season, thinking that they weren't going to get renewed again and just went, this seems like a good level to end on. And then they got picked up for two seasons and went, we don't really need to do anything to change this. We just, (laughs) we just keep going. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of the benefit of the show, especially when you consider like that this is a, top 20 show for Nielsen ratings. Um, like last year, it was number 19. Um, and it's very consistent. It's very good overall. And so the finale was just a very polite, um, but still kind of funny send off. They're using um, Kristen Johnson like super duper well this season. And um, I'm really excited that she's going to be a main regular in season seven, which means we'll get a new opening credit sequence again to highlight her. So the show just, I think that the best thing about mom and that this season has demonstrated and that this finale demonstrates is that it's a really good platform to show. Yeah. By the way, ladies are funny. Here's an (laughs) entire show that proves it on broadcast television and does really, really well. So, Mm -hmm. and doesn't have that Chuck Lorre bent of meanness to it, except in a very loving way. So I really like mom. I'm glad it's got two more seasons. And this finale was just very sweet. 
Oh, well, good. I'm glad to hear that. That's yeah. delightful. And like I said, I, I like I've always enjoyed when I've tuned in and uh, I enjoy keeping up with the show through you talking about uh-huh. it. And at some point, hopefully I'll have time and I can sit down and I can watch it. But I don't feel the need to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I still feel uh, I'm still warmed when I hear that good things are happening for the characters because yeah. I feel like um, I could use more of that on our shows and ah, well, <laughs> we'll get there. <laughs> in like last week's episode to like show you how warped the show is, is like Chris, Christy is interning at a law firm and someone like an associate steals her idea. Mm hmm. And instead of being really upset about this, she goes, my idea was good enough for someone to steal it. I'm a first year law student and someone stole my idea. <laughs> and I just went, show's so good. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> good times. Okay. Um, well, this week I caught up with what we do in the shadows. And the episode this week is the trial. Have you heard anything about this episode, Noel? No, I have heard nothing. So I'd very much like to not know anything. Yeah, I'm not um, going to say anything. Okay. Uh, there, I mean, obviously it's called the trial. Yeah. So there's a trial. Yeah. And I think, uh, the casting for the people that are involved in the trial, Mm -hmm. um, is delightful. And we'll talk about it when you've seen it. Okay. I feel like that's plenty to say about that. Um, tell me all about like catching up on it because, oh my God, Jake McDormand. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a shame I think we're done with him now. Um yeah, after, probably. Yeah, they she broke him. Um but yeah, th- this has been really fun. The one thing that I sort of uh am bummed out about about the show is the aesthetic yes. necessitating that it's sort of drab. Yeah, even when they go to the club and you're writing a curl and that vocal choice was you did not disappoint. Uh, you did not overhype it. It was really awesome. Um, but the especially when we're seeing like when when we see Vanessa Bear, when we meet her, her emotional vampire, uh, I was like, oh, yeah, no, that makes sense. Fits the aesthetic. I would have really liked for her to get to where any colors um and and into like especially to distinguish her from the energy vampire colin um so i would i would like more visual variety um and maybe that will come in future seasons but i think for right now they're just very married to their aesthetic and it's it's just like painfully drab um So I would like that to get shaken up. I'm not sure how they would. But I'm really digging the stuff with Guillermo. um, And especially in this episode, I like the threads that they have been seeding about um, the LARPers and some Mm -hmm. of these other things. And and the the choice to introduce stuff and then sort of like let it back burner and then bring it come, you know, the the pacing within the season of the different storylines, I think, has worked well. Uh, (laughs) I Poor Doug Jones. <laughs> I wanted more Doug Jones. But he was so good in that episode, though. He was very good. He was very good in that episode. Uh, the Baron's Night Out or whatever it is. Uh, yeah. I enjoyed uh, everybody getting high off of druggy blood by accident. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and I also just con- I continue to be entertained just un- unf- unfeelingly by uh, bat <laughs> and, and like yelling bat every time like no one else yells bat but matt barry yells bat uh, his character does uh and it's just ridiculous and i really enjoy it uh i thought that though like like or like the like with the visual aesthetic for example i 
when we see the werewolves, right? I wanted more of a change. I wanted yeah. the, you know, so that's the one point that I just can't keep getting stuck on. But other than that, I'm having a, quite a bit of fun with what we do in the shadows. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you on the aesthetic in terms of its drabness, but also in terms of like its overall darkness, its mm-hmm. desire to mimic a verite, verite style of basically only having the lamp from the camera provide any sort of light as a light source is not the best sometimes, but on the upside, it also allows you to hide any laying around Starbucks cups that are just there that you forgot yeah, to move. That you forgot um, to, yes. The, they're, they're right, you don't see them. But then it also just wouldn't be a massive anachronism of any mm-hmm. kind. So, yeah. b- but it is, it can make watching the show kind of difficult sometimes, just from a visual experience, especially if you're watching it and the lighting in your room is just not cor- pure correct. Yeah. It's kind of tough. So, yes, I would like, especially since you have Colin, you have the ability to do something different. And they just kind of make a choice not to. And that's that's frustrating. But I also appreciate their willingness to do different sort of formats, like doing that public access view when they go to the city council. Um, mm-hmm. And that's just really good as well. I think that there's just a number of, like, it coheres even if it doesn't make necessarily the best visual experience. And I can appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, the actor who playing the, the, the console woman, I can't remember her name, but she's always terrific. Yes. Really enjoyed her here. It's <laughs> just the visual kick of just the, in, just the porch full of dead raccoons. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of fun things happening. Um, yeah, and as I, I will never forget seeing uh, going to visit former co-host of the show Simon up in uh, Toronto, and uh, go, just seeing some. We, might, we were checking out this uh, this one area of the city where there's like um like it was like a view spot where you can like see the skyline, or whatever. And they had a sign, "Don't feed the raccoons," and some idiot was feeding the raccoons, and there was so there was just a swarm. There's a swarm of raccoons. We tell you, those adorable little hands are less adorable when there's like 20 of them. Uh, so <laughs> I was enjoying all of the raccoon <laughs> subplot here uh, and and flashing back to my own experience with a just massive bunch of them in a small space. Uh, yeah, it was it was still creepy and uh, delightful and entertaining, all in equal measures. I'm enjoying what we do in the shadows. I'm less enjoying Drag Race. Bring Back My Queens is the makeover episode this week. And so there there are these challenges that Drag Race does regularly. Yeah. That they're just like staples of the show. We talk about Snatch Game. We talk about some of these other ones. A big one is the makeover challenge. That has been going since season one. Snatch Game started in season two. Um, And literally every season of Drag Race, except for All Stars 3, has featured a makeover. So at that point, this, you know, this is season 11 of the regular show. And then there's three all-star seasons that I've had. So they've, this is the 14th makeover the show has done. And so trust me, I get that it can be challenging to come up with new ways to do a makeover episode. But just bringing back the eliminated queens isn't a good way to do that. Nope. Because the whole point of a makeover episode is transformation. And if if they wanted to really focus in on, okay, we've seen these drag queens here. These are drag queens with very specific looks. Now I want you to see, make up, like take the canvas of the person and their bone structure and, everything, and make them up in your house style. 
that was the challenge, right? But they didn't take drag queens that have, you know, they didn't focus on here are the most iconic looking drag queens that we've done before. Bring them on and see if our queens can make them up. They just brought back the eliminated queens. And some of them have very distinct styles. Um, For example, you know, Ariel gets uh, paired with Vanjie and she goes full Vanjie on Ariel's makeup. And it's really striking the difference Mm -hmm. in how in her look versus what Ariel would do. But some of the other queens that they bring back don't have as distinctive of a style, at least yet. Or, or or as distinctive of a look. And so when they are paired with someone else, it, you don't get that element of transformation. You don't get the element of connecting with someone who you, you don't share as much with because, uh, like, through the lens of drag and this experience, because they all already know each other. So you basically just get a chance to bring back the Eliminated Queens for some more gossiping and and just drama, workroom drama. But all of it is warmed over, really tired stuff we've already rehashed. Like, Wiggate comes back, dude. They oh, talk- come yeah. on. No one cares. No one cares. And, like, ugh, yeah, it's really frustrating. So so they take, like, I get how, on paper, this could seem like a really interesting variation on drag to, like, highlight the nuances of these different styles of drag. But... In the top six, you've got at least three pageant queens. Yeah. So so there isn't a big enough spectrum in the different kinds of drag that they're representing so that you can really hone in on that. And then the episode doesn't take a close enough look at that to really emphasize it either. So mostly the positives you gain from using the Eliminated Queens uh, are just so significantly outweighed by what you lose by not bringing in like uh, people who've never done drag before or uh, family members or friends or like the best one. I still think the most affecting one is still the crew when they brought, yeah. you know, uh, the the like Sarge, you know, um, and uh, it was a wintergreen. Yeah. I mean, I still remember Sar- Sarge's drag name years later. That shows you how effective it was. Um, so you, all of the wonderful things you gain from doing the makeover with people who are not already drag queens are lost and you don't get anything near as much as, as satisfying to, to pair it up with. Not to mention the win went to the wrong person. The wrong person is eliminated. The lip sync is, it's just, it's just bad. It's just bad. Noel. it should be a double shot. It should be a double sachet. Really? Mm-hmm. It should have been. And I say that as someone who really likes one of the Queens that ends up lip syncing. Um, so I'm not going to say more cause you, you haven't seen it yet. Uh, but I'm hoping that they can turn things around in their last, you know, with the top five. Because they have a top five episode, then they're going to have a top four episode, then a reunion, and then the finale. So there's there's a bunch of episodes left. Yeah. But they've been petering out something fierce in these last few episodes. So I don't know what they can do to really get an injection of energy and creativity at this point. It feels like Rue really committed to... Uh, certain of the queens and then they didn't deliver they like the show bet big on certain of these queens and some of them delivered and some of them didn't and uh it's led to a disappointing second half of the season so i look forward to your thoughts when we get there i like no scrubs i think that's a really fun song and it it just was it was bad no more drama was a much better lip sync so Anyways, 
let's move on to Killing Eve. I'm still not caught up. I will hopefully be by next week. What did you think of Smell You Later? Um, I don't, I mean, I'm still enjoying Killing Eve on a just sheer enjoyment level. But I also feel like the show is kind of struggling to figure out what it wants to do each week. Um, I said that they've been doing like a lot of like place setting type stuff, and I'm still waiting for some kind of a payoff to happen, and I can't quite get where they're going with it here. Um, because this week's episode has, oh, by the way, her Eve's team is realizing maybe Eve's not quite okay. <laughs> and it's like, um, I feel like we all knew that already. <laughs> it was very clear. Doesn't Fiona um, Shaw know that, obviously? Yeah. And I think that that's kind of what's happening is like, there's a lot more tension with Nico, and particularly at the end where Villanelle actually like confronts Nico in Oxford, dressed like perfectly, like really, really perfectly. Um, but I'm, I'm trying to figure out where, what the show wants to do and where it's trying to say that feels kind of new or kind of fresh because they end up catching the assassin that's been going around killing folks for a little while this season, the ghost who is quiet and unassuming as opposed to Villanelle's big showiness. And Eve's like, I thought she, I was really hoping she was going to be more exciting. And it's like, Oh, not everyone can be Villanelle. Villanelle. <laughs> and that kind of gets back into that thing of like, all right, well we have to catch Villanelle because the ghost won't talk to us, but we need Villanelle to convince her to talk. So we're going to put out a hit on Eve. So Villanelle comes, we can grab her, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And like, it all works because of course it would. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just, I'm, I'm really not sure where we're going. And that's really kind of frustrating. Um, and it's not in a, I'm not sure where we're going because you've set up a good mystery and I don't have quite have any ideas. It's, I just don't know what we're trying to say this season. And that's kind of frustrating for me. And I also just kind of keep screaming, go talk to season two, Will Graham, Eve, just go talk to him. Because this is unhealthy. <laughs> this is bad. You're going to end up hugging her and falling off a cliff together. And then we won't know what happens. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that just points to the idea of, uh, we've kind of seen this narrative before. Yeah. And there hasn't been a sort of fresh sense of adjustment to it yet. Mm-hmm. That... There definitely was in season one where you had a very heavy cat and mouse sort of thing. And now the cat and mouse game is sort of replaced with a almost a will they, won't they sort of thing, except it's not a really compelling will they, won't they, since it feels like a foregone conclusion. It's a they will just wait. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. It's very much that. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's interesting. Yeah. Because. When you're talking, you know, and I'm I'm guilty of this way too much, talking about uh, something being expected or being predictable or feeling like it came out of nowhere. It's not that television or films needs to or just art needs to deliver what you expect in order to be good, or that if it does, that that is not necessarily impactful. We don't need surprises, and we don't need something to be perfectly set up it there's needs to be a sense that the show knows what it's doing and that it's headed somewhere otherwise it feels aimless so so it's not that you know and it's in i don't always use the best language when i'm describing this phenomenon which is why 
Um, I think it would be easy for for people to get frustrated with with how I talk about these shows uh, personally, because because I was like, oh, well, then it's just it's just out of nowhere. We'll we'll get there with Game of Thrones <laughs> when I talk about Game of Thrones. But um, yeah, you a show that does this well sets up especially in like some sort of like a whodunit or a capery kind of show and certainly the cat and cat game of of killing eve fits this 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 description but uh there needs to be a sense of uh inevitability to the actions that maybe you can't anticipate it but when you see it clicks into place and and is paid uh, paying pays off character decisions and the momentum of the season um and it's that the old uh, idea of what the show needs, not necessarily what the audience wants. Um, and it's, and I, you know, as much as I appreciate, and there's a satisfying feel to when a show clicks into place and everything pays off. Um, it's actually even more fun when they surprise you, but then it feels justified and earned. Yeah. So, so there's lots of different ways you can approach this kind of storytelling that feeds into this sense of inevitability or of uh of energy and momentum so that's sort of what i you know i when i catch up here i'm hoping that they'll be able to bring to the the end of of the season yeah and that's what i'm hoping for is everything's going to snap into place over the back half of the season um as we enter the last the final five episodes yeah and that's what i want and it can happen it definitely can happen but it just it feels wheel spinny in a not entertaining way Mm. and that's that's a problem because like to your larger point is like i don't need i don't need to be surprised because there are plenty of things that when you execute something wrote really well i'm happy like it's basically sort of the equivalent of like all right well let's see if you know how to roast a chicken and make potatoes kind of thing Mm-hmm. If you can do that really well, then I'm happy because chicken and potatoes are delicious. <laughs> mm-hmm. But if you kind of mess it up, then I'm just like, well, then you don't really have the skills necessary if you can't cook these two things. Yeah, And that's kind of how I feel when you kind of botch something like this a little bit. And it's not completely botched. It's still deeply entertaining, but it's coasting a lot on two really good performances and costuming. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's like, Many of us were not surprised by at least one of the big things that happens in Avengers Endgame because, of course, it did. Yeah. Uh, that doesn't mean it's not impactful if it's done well. So that's what we're always looking for. Um, yeah. And now I want some roast potatoes. Uh, that's that's a problem for future Kate. Right now, I want to know what's going on with iZombie season five here. This is our final season. How is the season off to you know, the, the start here? Are we off to a good start? We're off to an okay start. Um, after the past couple of seasons, my enthusiasm for the show has like been significantly tempered. And the degree to which I care a lot about what's going on has dropped a lot, which has been disappointing. But they've made a couple of decent choices here. The first is that they cast Jennifer Irwin as sort of their big bad. So uh, listeners, you may know her from like Superstore, where she plays Lori, the district manager, or she plays Virginia on the Goldbergs for a number of years. 
Um, and she's sort of playing the big bad who runs a food truck and is leading a human first sort of like underground movement in Seattle. It's been about six months since the end of the season four finale. And Seattle, or rather New Seattle, has just increasingly fallen on hard times. It's like there's very little food getting into the city, both actual food, but also brains. Mm-hmm. And so the city's kind of teetering on the edge of things. And one so there's like this nice sort of like there's a little bit of attention there though it's not explored enough which is a problem in these first two episodes um beyond a we need brains your connection to get us brains has fallen down so you need to fix that which is what um david anders uh, blaine deals with for in the first episode so there's still there's that aspect of it but then the show has at least recalibrated enough to realize that they're primed to do a number of number of commentary points now um, because there's literally a wall around New Seattle. And now it's like, well, we can do immigration storylines and they're doing immigration storylines that extend beyond doing a renegade sort of storyline that they did in season four, which wasn't like super duper effective. And they've focused it a lot more, at least in these first two episodes to tell something that isn't necessarily new or exciting, but is well done, especially within this show that doesn't really lean, hasn't really leaned super heavily on this sort of allegorical political commentary before. And then all of Irwin's character's stuff and all of her, um, all of the environment around the humans and the zombies feeds into issues of fake news, feeds into false flag operations, all this sort of stuff is like circulating and percolating around the show and around the overall plot of the overall world of the show, which is really good. It's not executing it as well as like the good fight is in its very delightful, weird way. Um, But I do think that it's good that they're doing that because it provides something fresh, but all the other sort of problems of the show are still here. It's like, all right, well, we've got some cases of the week that don't, seem to mean anything the severity of brain overtaking people's personalities varies wildly and also they just seem to have given up on the brains providing some sort of insight or anything liz live spends the entire second episode on a like an aerobics instructor brain and doesn't matter just there Mm. for like little background comedy basically and it's just like well, I remember when this show had something to say about <laughs> emotional well-being and depression, and I like that we're transitioning to having something to say as opposed to wanting to say something and not doing it particularly well, and now saying something and doing it fine for what I expect from this show. But it's like, um, I'm kind of glad you're ending, show. I wish yeah. you were ending better, but I'm glad you're ending. Okay, well, that's disappointing to hear, but um, at least it's stepping things up a little bit in our yeah. last season, and hopefully they, I mean, they've had plenty of notice, so hopefully they have a really strong plan for the end of the show. Hopefully, hopefully, um, yeah. Um, Karina Abdul-Jabbar shows up in the second episode, which is fun from a framing <laughs> perspective, but, and it's yeah. also a good reminder that he's on the Veronica Kamara's writing staff, so. Yes, the 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 writing announcement, the ca- writing hiring announcement, I guess I want to say casting, but yeah, um, that I think 
think we're all most excited about this year. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. I'm also excited. I'm surprised to find myself excited for the season six premiere of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. This is Missing Pieces. By the time you guys hear this, this premiered already. This already is, has aired. You can read my review over at the AV Club where I was able to step in uh, to sub in for this episode. But um, yeah, like, and I talk about this in my review. I, how many of us would have anticipated, like, in season two of Shields, that this would be the show of all of them that's still around at the end of phase three? I mean, well done, Agents of Shield. Well done. And I think this, this premiere is a good example of why it's still around because it, it, I think it's really solid. The, they, the pacing is really, uh, well, uh, calibrated. The tonal balance between, like, quippy banter and and more emotional moments and introspection and reflection and show history and bringing in new things like this is a show that makes the team balance of a show of like an action adventure kind of superhero show look easy and that's something that most of the live action superhero shows have really struggled with um and and i'm sure there there have been stronger and weaker seasons of shield but uh at this point the there's an ensemble of like eight nine people there's you know four five leads but there's there's a secondary tier to the ensemble as well that just works really really well together and it's just fun it's fun to watch and um i think they know what they are doing they they know the energy of the show and they are really smart in how they use their cast how they structure the show. Like, for example, the season five ended with the search for, you know, search for Fitz uh, out in space. And then the Mac becoming the, the leader of uh, the director of shield. And so this premiere follows the Zephyr space people for half the episode and the earth people for half the episode. So half the episode is uh, tying up and connecting into and drawing new storylines for season six off of, uh, the end of season five and the need to find fits and resolve that. And the other half of the episode is all new stuff, basically. And so, like, just it's just really smartly constructed. Uh, there's some action. There's some really delightful meta comedy and uh, exchanges. And, uh, yeah, it's just it's fun. So uh, it, it's easy, I think, to underestimate this type of, like, workplace cop procedurally kind of show which shield so often is until you think of what other shows are doing this and doing it well and the answer is very few um at least that's my my take on it but uh yeah i would not have remembered that shield was coming back until i saw it pop up you know a a few places and they're currently filming season seven so (laughs) it's going to be around for 13 episodes this year and it'll be around next year too um so power to more power to the people over at shield because they found a formula that works for them and it still has some some life in it in season six well that's really reassuring uh i'm very excited to get back into this um and yeah there's just especially after they realized that they didn't have to be subservient to the films Mm -hmm. and their ability to just go oh we should just do what we want we can because kevin feig's not paying any attention to us um yeah it feels more like they were allowed to finally do what they want yeah right and that made a huge difference and you can see that especially over seasons four and five um sorry seasons three and four in particular it was just like 
We can do whatever. I mean, yeah, we're going to kind of spoil the surprise in Captain Marvel, but no one watches our show, so who cares? <laughs> um, and so I really appreciate that. And I'm very excited to see what they do. I'm excited to see Clark Gregg play a bad guy because mm-hmm. that's going to be fun because he's probably just like, oh, yeah, I don't have to shave this season. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be grizzled. Yeah, the, the character has a name. I'm going to play Kill Coulson. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's just very much like grizzled Coulson for me right now. Uh, he We will eventually find out his name, I would assume, in the next episode. But yeah. uh, no, there's also like a theme of butterflies in this episode that, of course, as a Drag Race reviewer, uh, <laughs> I was very much enjoying. And I did include a line about that in the strays for my review. Um, there, I When you get a chance to see this, there's an exchange around sound traveling in space that i really enjoy okay and there's also a straight uh, an exchange around the term anomalies that i really enjoy so i look forward to your thoughts uh when you get a chance to see it but no like the the balance of self-aware and winking but not mugging right is just right on the show and it, it just makes it really fun my my one question then and i'm kind of curious about this is how do they address like the films in any way shape or point no in this? okay no yeah. like the snap can't have happened because somebody would have had to have yeah. vanished and, and that hasn't happened. Um, and they didn't just like, go like, Oh, it's so lucky that all of our main characters didn't get affected. But like, they, there's no sense that anyone has, has lost someone in the snap. Um, and yeah. So like this, cause this could theoretically be set like during the events of Endgame, the way that the end of season five is set right. very much during like as Infinity War is going on, here's why our characters aren't in that movie. Yeah. They're dealing with they're dealing with this other thing. Um so they don't even try to do that here. Okay. There's a time jump forward a year. Okay. In the middle of the episode. So which works for the episode, but that would require you to engage with what's happening on Earth in the MCU. And so they just go like eh. eh. Officially right. a different universe now. Yeah, no, because that's what I was trying to like sort out in my head because I was thinking about this in relation to the other two Marvel shows that are currently running and the idea of them not being able to do what happens at the beginning of um, Endgame and then just living in a post-snap sort of thing and thinking like, that doesn't really work for anyways, but I would watch the shit out of a Leftovers version of Cloak and Dagger. Mm-hmm. And to see what happens to their conception of New Orleans in that kind of a in that kind of a milieu, um, even though I am four episodes behind on <laughs> Dagger mm-hmm. right now, I really need to catch up. I will catch up, Vince. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> we will. We will before it before it goes away. Yeah, yeah. It, it's uh, it again. Like I just keep coming back to that. Yes, Cloak and Dagger is happening right now. Yes, uh, Runaways is renewed, um, but. I don't think either of those were like officially in the works back when this started. It was yeah. like all these prestigious Netflix shows, most of which were very good. Um, and, and this and agent Carter. And it was like, they were the redhead haired stepchild. Right. <laughs> but they've stuck it out. They've lasted. So power to shield. Um, our next episode is game of Thrones. Last of the Starks. I have a feeling I will have thoughts after 
the next episode, so I'm going to keep this short. Uh, okay. if, if anyone's read the spoilers that are running around, yeah, uh, I was avoiding them until I was like, you don't care. And so then I did read them. And if that, if those spoilers are accurate, uh, yeah, there's going to be thought. People are going to react. They're going to have reactions. They're going to be pissed. So hopefully those spoilers are not true. Uh, but they certainly look like they're shaping up like, this could be how the showrunners see the show. Uh, there, that's very vague. I'll talk more about it next week after the fifth episode has aired. But the uh, the main takeaway I had from this episode, aside from enjoying some of the the like payoff elements, the the stuff with Jamie and Brienne was great. I really liked it. I thought it made sense and worked. Uh, the just like everybody in um. Castle Black just like partying and throwing a kegger because they didn't die. <laughs> it was pretty great. Um, no, Castle Black, sorry, Winterfell. Uh, and, and that whole energy of that part of the show is terrific. Uh, and, and even just recentering the show works better than it should recentering to face Cersei, which was my main concern. Um, at, after the previous episode. But, uh, yeah, I saw some people talking about on Twitter that just it, this episode is, is a prime example of how two white du- white dudes the writing room is because it's the two showrunners that are really in charge of uh the writing and have, have written most of the episodes and certainly wrote this one and how much better the show would be and over its entire run if there had been more women and more people of color and were just more underrepresented writers like minority voices in the writing room uh throughout its run also as directors and it's just really hard to watch Sansa talk about how being violently raped over and over again and tortured and terrorized for much of her adult life it was good because otherwise she'd still be a little bird and like that's just insane to me like that the that decision is not true and is not in character it just it's the kind of thing that a that a, one or two writers think is an accurate um depiction of a survivor of assaults and they didn't have enough people talking honestly with them to say that no maybe don't kill your only woman of color as she's in chains so that you can have your white lead be upset about it. Like maybe if you're going to kill someone, don't have it be the black woman uh, who dies to motivate the white woman. Maybe let the white dude die then instead of killing him the week before. Like just, there's so many blind spots on this show um, from a, just a writing perspective and it, it it's gets very very uh frustrating it's 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 not much better or it, it's really the same thing as the starbucks cup just the, these glaring glaring did nobody tell you that this is bad that like that what this would mean to people watching it um and so so not only killing misande danny's closest advisor and handmaid um handmaid uh maiden i don't know what the right attendant whatever friend best friend uh is bad but executing her for no reason while she's chained and in like in 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 irons again after like her whole 
thing. Her whole thread was finally gaining her freedom. Like after that was such a big part of her story. Did they not, they must, they just didn't realize, I guess, how bad that was going to be and how affecting that was going to be and how completely unnecessary it was. Who, and I, maybe the point is supposed to be that Cersei's stupid, but it's not supposed to be that Cersei's stupid. Who has a, an army outside their gates with dragons that they want to try to avoid uh, just like sieging and killing everyone because they know this army can and then gets a hostage that is beloved of the person leading the army and then executes them rather than holding them hostage so the dragon doesn't burn them all. Like, it just, a basic tactics doesn't make any sense. From um, what I understand, basic tactics is not something that this show typically exercises anyway, so. <laughs> yes, but often when it does that stupidly, it makes sense in character, you know? Mm-hmm. And this is not one that sh- that does, I think. Uh, anyways, well, again, I'll have more on this after the next episode. I really hope those spoilers are wrong because, like, if they are, it just shows such a lack of understanding. Or I, I shouldn't say lack of understanding. A fundamental disagreement between myself and the writers with who many of these characters are. So, well, more on that know. next week. <laughs> These these are the two guys who thought the Confederacy show was a great idea, so... Yes, aren't you just so excited about their upcoming trilogy of Star Wars movies? I know I am, I'm not. I am so not. <laughs> yes. Let's talk about something that will make me happier. Let's talk about Gary's nipple on Legends of Tomorrow. This is Nip Stuck, and we're going to start with that, because the Snowden thing is fun, too, but, like... After an entire episode of buildup, the actual reveal of the performance review and the nipple was just, I didn't think they could do one better than the previous nipple stuff. And they did. It's so good. It's so funny. And more power to Mona. It was delightful. Thank you, Legends of Tomorrow. What did you think? It was really funny and really disgusting both at the same time, which is the best kind of thing to happen. In fact, it reminded me a lot of like something that Angel would have done, like yeah. to be really, really weird in something. And when I realized that, I just went, oh, yeah, yeah, this is very good. And that's what it is. It's just like you get this, you get this Matt Lauer esque sort of situation of like a door that closes with a button that he then can't open, (laughs) (laughs) which is also kind of a perfect comeuppance sort of deal that I really appreciate. But also, just on a performance level, that whole trans transition from being Gary to being. Gary Green is all the man we need is just so good. And like the costuming, he's got the glasses are gone. The hairstyle is different and the voice is different. All of it is just completely different and it works really well. But you also realize just very quickly how much of a facade this is and it's good. And then you just get the capper of his nipple is an eyeball now (laughs) (laughs) that blinks and moves around and responds to stimuli. And it's just like, and is hypnotizing people and it's just it's so good it's so good it, it also <laughs> in a delicious bit of symmetry did you see janelle monet's look for the met gala 
because she also had a a, a blinking eye on her left breast. So uh, there's a fun little bit of overlap there that I enjoyed this week. Uh, Anyways, listeners, go over to TomLorenzo.com and check out their coverage of the Met Gala if you want to see the various looks. um, And you can see what they had to say about her uh, Janelle Monae's Christian Siriano look. It was fabulous of course uh back to legends of tomorrow though uh how did you like the reveal of tabitha as the fairy godmother i was so ecstatic like i one of, completely did not see it coming it no, was delightful neither did i and one of the things about it is is like i've we've discussed how the show's big bad for this season kind of got tossed out the window because they just like tumbles in too much to make him the big bad mm-hmm. um who tumbles being the actor who was playing nate's dad and they didn't want to do that. So this season, while I think has sort of suffered for want of a big bad in a lot of instances, or like a lot of an overarching challenge, their decision to just bring back the fairy godmother, who's arguably the most powerful person they've encountered mm-hmm. across the entire run of the show, and just go, yeah, she's she's the big bad. And it's just like, that's perfect. It's it's really perfect, and it's also like, yeah, we also really liked this actor, mm-hmm. and we want to bring her back for all... We want to bring her back because we knew when we brought her on to do this for all, all our, like, fantasy fugitives, she was the winner. And mm-hmm. it was just like, let's bring her back! And it's just like, yes. Yes, bring yeah. her back. <laughs> and then, like, <laughs> attach her to Gary, who has stole so many things, like, make Gary her hosts. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, it's perfect. It's absolutely perfect. Yeah. And I'm also just so glad to be wrong about Ava being possessed as well, which mm-hmm. I feel like a lesser show, that's what a lesser show would have done. Mm-hmm. And they tip their hand and like, it seems like that is what you can expect. And then instead they do this and it's yeah. just so much better. Yeah. Yeah. It is. Um, it's just infinitely better. Yeah. I- I'm like, I feel like all the Constantine stuff is just sort of in a different show, but a different episode, but the the Brandon Routh performance, I, I really enjoyed in this. I, I really am digging him as Neuron uh, right now. And uh, like all I'm guessing that's a comic thing, like Constantine's uh, ancestor looking like him. Like, I don't know, but like that kind of seems like that. Like, why else? have it be Stonehenge. But I guess on this show, why not have it be Stonehenge? Um, <laughs> well, but uh, that part didn't work as well for me. But the the interactions with Constantine and Neron did. Yeah, I think the interactions with Constantine and Neron are good. Um, a person pointed out, it was like, oh, this has been the payoff for Constantine refusing to dress up for missions, is Matt Ryan has to do this. <laughs> and, and I just went, that's, that's, that's probably exactly what this is, babe, is like, yeah, Matt Ryan was like, I'm not dressing up. I'm just, I've got this trench coat thing. I'm very comfortable in it. All right, Matt, you don't have to dress up for any of the missions. <laughs> You have to dress up for this part, though. And this is like, <laughs> it's good. It's very, like, I love how very low rent all of that is. Like, mm-hmm. his costume's super low rent, but my favorite bit is one of the, like, the sages in the white robes. That fake beard that guy has on <laughs> looks so horribly fake. But the problem yeah. is, is, I don't care because it fits with the show's tone and aesthetic so much that it's just like, I'll just go with it. And he's out of focus mm-hmm. the entire time anyway, but it's very clearly just too bushy. It's very fake. And I'm just like, yeah. I'm here for that. I'm here for that. Um, what do you yeah. think about like the stuff on the ship? 
Oh, it was so fun. It was good. And and the I love that Sarah didn't actually have a plan besides yeah. screw it if we're going to die, let's die having fun and playing card games. <laughs> and then it just happened to save them. Not like that it was part of some secret plan that if she did like no, she didn't have another plan, but her instincts were right. And uh and that's the kind again, I talked about previously that enjoying when shows let characters get a win right that's what that's all this was and too many shows uh that i'm watching right now don't want to let any character have a win that is so i particularly appreciate the tone and the approach of legends being like yep so that was the right instinct you were right and you just happened to save everybody's life because you're like screw this we're not gonna die you know in 36 hours freezing uh gasping for air we're gonna die warm in 15 hours yeah. <laughs> after having some drinks and listening to some music and going out you know uh because there's no one who can come to save them anyway so screw it and it paid off and and i'm totally okay with that no, I really like that as well. And I like that, again, it was Ray's, Ray's survival guide with mm-hmm. a forward by Ray, Raymond Palmer <laughs> <laughs> um, that did that. It was like, no, just you're doomed, so just enjoy yourselves. And it's just like, it's exactly what the correct thing to do is. It's like, it's like, enjoy your last moments together. Like, and this will save you. And it literally saves them. And it's really delightful. The tensions that they kind of explore, particularly between Sarah and I think Mick, are really good here. Um, and those have sort of been a long time coming as Mick has been like the unofficial XO of the ship. So I really appreciated that kind of a thing here. But then also the fact that it was very quickly resolved of, I'm really happy you got to go to Seattle and have that moment for yourself. And I'm really glad you have a girlfriend. And it's just like, this is all very good stuff. And the reflection on them and Ray being the last of the originals, I also thought was really, really nice and really good. So I think that just generally everything about this episode worked really, really well. It just is very easy to, for the nipple <laughs> to overshadow <laughs> everything as well. It probably should, but yeah, overall, this was a really good episode and I thought this was the penultimate. So I'm really glad we have two more episodes left. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, and we'll have, I'm sure, more to say next week. But until then, uh, what wins your week in TV? Um, so I do want to, like, mention Gentleman Jack is breaking the fourth wall quite a bit um, in, like, really subtle ways. But, Kate, there's a there's a direct-to-camera look uh, <laughs> given by um, Anne um, Lister um, in, like, sort of a, like, a love scene. And her partner, like begins to look around and goes <laughs> what are you looking at and she's like it's very good <laughs> is mm-hmm. what i'm saying so that moment just generally works but i think it's legends of tomorrow nipstuck wins my week in television um but what about you what uh what what did you really enjoy this week well first of all the first time i saw that gag that you describe yeah. uh, is in Cannibal the Musical, which mm-hmm. is the the college film of the creators of South Park, where a character is singing her ballad and just staring off into space. And then like she's on the stairs and two people just kind of like walk down the stairs, like come coming up from their hotel room and just kind of like stop and like try to like figure out what she's looking at. And then just like, go, like, 
Huh. And like the whole time she's singing, it's hilarious. And I didn't even, I couldn't figure out what was going on until my friend I was watching with, I was like, they try described it. I was like, oh my God, that's amazing. That's, that's so good. So I'm always down for that kind of a joke. I look forward to seeing it when, when I catch up with Gentleman Jack. Um, this week I wanted to give a shout out to Why It's the Next Problem Areas just for bringing on H. John Benjamin to be Batman. Uh, I really hope that that continues with these various like Walt, like that hang in their cat before and this time was Batman. That is, uh, really working for me. So. Well done, guys. Uh, they did a Veep Colbert crossover that was pretty fun. I'm looking forward to the Veep finale as as we record. That's going to be this coming this weekend. I'll talk about it next week. And uh, there's a DuckTales bomb gone, and then there's a bomb. So, like, there's, like, episodes every day this week. We're going to talk about it next week after we've had a chance to see more of them. But, uh, and then there's but, more episodes next week. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so yeah. So many, so many episodes. I watched so much TV this guy, this week, guys, just trying to catch up. Um, but I think of these, uh, okay. The moment, like the highlights and surprise moments for, for Game of Thrones and what we do in the shadows, I think were higher. But as far as the full episode, I'm going to do Legends of Tomorrow as well. Okay. And I can't say more than that. I know that the 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 Brienne and Tormund shippers uh, called some BS on on Jamie and Brienne getting together, but I really I thought they really sold it. It worked for me, so I'm I'm down with that. Uh, okay, more thoughts on all of that next week. For now, let's take a break and come back with our season spotlight on Rami season one. Rami. Do you want to stay alone forever? Mom, you can't just walk up to a Muslim girl and, like, start spitting game or something. What what am I supposed to say? Like, hey, can I get your father's number? Yes, why not? This Ramadan, I really want to do it the right way, man. It's been a weird year. And I feel like if I can just do this the right way, I can figure my shit out. I'm not going to look at porn. Nothing. I just want to commit. No porn. This guy says no porn. It's going to be tough. No way. Impossible. I'm going out. Does anyone even care where Rami goes? You guys never ask him where he is. He just told me he's going out. That's what I just said. He literally gave you no information. Yeah, I'm gonna go. Love you, Mom. Love you, Habibi. I want to know who I am. I want to explore. You're like the kids in Egypt. They throw down the government. Big revolution. Then what? No plan. I don't know what I'm doing, man. I look at my parents and how strong they are and how they just know everything's going to be okay because they have God. And yeah, I have sex even though I'm not married. Where are you going to go? So what? Is that, that means I'm not a good Muslim? I'm just, like, trying to be good. You jerk off too much. What are your goals for this life? this life yeah before the day of judgment yeah you know i'm not really like a big planner you know i'm kind of more like an in the moment kind of guy That was the trailer for season one of Rami, available on Hulu. It is a 10-episode first season uh, with each episode running but 25 to like 32 minutes, roughly about a half an hour per episode. Uh, the show is created by Rami Youssef, who is the star, who is a Muslim-American man, uh, 
who lives in in New Jersey with his family, with his sister and his parents. And it explores sort of his life as he's trying to kind of get his act together. It's been uh, compared by a lot of people to Master of None. And there's certainly some tonal similarities there. I'm sure we'll talk about that. But I think for Televerse listeners, they'll also appreciate it is uh, co-EP'd by Jared Carmichael, who, of course, was the, you know, the creative voice and star of the Carmichael show, which I know I miss certainly would like to still be watching that now. Uh, what did you think of Rami? Had you heard of it before we decided to talk about it? And, and what did you think? I had just heard of it a little bit, like I said, at the top. Um, and I saw some folks like a number of reviews when it premiered um, on the 19th of April. Wow. We were behind on this one. Yeah. Um, I thought it was only like at the end of April. Um, <laughs> So, and I generally really liked it. I'm curious about the Master of None comparisons, um, Mm -hmm. whereas I was mostly like, this feels really heavily indebted to Insecure in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. Um, But in perfectly acceptable ways. um, And ways that they, that the show overall really earns, I think. And then Stoll provides a really pretty funny sort of show but also generally feels much more on the drama side for me and veers really heavily into a very serious sort of meditation on a couple of things that i really really appreciate and overall i again i think the show's really good and it's doing some interesting things from being a show about american muslims um to being a show that is very deeply concerned about religion in a way that is respectful and sticky and messy in all the ways that you would expect it to be within this show's lens. So I think it's really good and I'm very glad that we watched it. How did you feel about it? Yeah, I think it's really good. I think there's a lot of interesting things that it's doing. Uh, the cast is really terrific. And I think yeah, that comparison to Atlanta Insecure, I think works really well. And like having the ensemble and the group dynamics of Insecure with the friends and everything. Um, but, and then also having these really uh, focused spotlight episodes, the way that Atlanta sometimes does. I think those are two excellent comparisons uh, for me. I th- the, the comparisons I was seeing, to uh master of none i think hold only for like the first handful of episodes and yeah, then i would the, imagine so <laughs> so like if you if you like watch just a few episodes of this i could see that connection much more um especially when you got rami uh trying to decide if he's gonna date a muslim woman or if he's gonna keep dating you know white girls and, and jewish girls um and and keep that separation between his family and his uh and, and his dating world versus um uh what you know what he's looking for you know, what kind of relationship he's looking for long term and what whether he actually wants a serious relationship uh, i also think that there's a connection between those two shows um and that they are both about men that I'm actually not all that interested in and yes. who need to grow up and deal with their shit. Uh, and, and and I that's the one issue I have with Rami is yes. that I just have I have such limited patience for him and most of the other characters that we see him interacting with have so much more shit they got to deal with that like like kind of want him to just shut up and stop complaining uh at times which i think is very real and i think is very genuine um it doesn't negate what he's dealing with 
It, like the fact he just like he loses his job out of nowhere. <gasps> it's George. It's, it's George's, George's time. time. <laughs> um, the listeners, if you haven't seen it, the guy who plays George on Crazy Ex Girlfriend shows up on on Rami in a in a small role. Um, and but he's so uh, good in it. Like he's just he's really up good. New Jersey tech asshole, which I did not know was a thing, but is now a thing. It's definitely a thing, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, like, I look at his, his, like, his cousin is dealing with PTSD in Egypt, um, and his friends got, at least got a kid he's trying to take care of and run a business, and his sister is dealing with all sorts of extra yes. pressures as yeah. a woman and growing up in that family. Like, and, and so what I... And and certainly he's also dealing with plenty of things as well. But like when I compare his issues with his other these other people, I was like, what you're dealing with is not invalid. I hear what you're saying as a character. <laughs> like I get it. And you're the examination of faith and what he believes and that being that element of being lost and trying to is, is you know, like that's obviously a that's a real thing a lot of people are dealing with, and uh, certainly I've you know want you know tried to deal with some of that stuff in my own very privileged white girl way. Um, you know, the questioning your place in your if you have believe in in religion and and in your in your community and your faith community and all that stuff, but um, but just that, like I, everybody else has more pressing things, so I, I appreciate that balance, and I also just like. For me, the the it, he's just so clearly headed down a stupid, wrong path for parts of this. Like, I'll just go to Egypt, and that I'll go to Cairo, and that will solve all of my questions about the meaning of life. Like, that's that's very stupid. <laughs> it's very stupid. Um, but exactly what I would expect from him at the same time is like it makes yeah, perfect sense. It does make perfect sense, but that doesn't mean I'm actually interested in watching him realize that it was a stupid thing, you know? So yeah. that's and so so that is the tension that I had watching the show um because it is so well made and like what so it's basically like, a, like watching him bumble into these realizations that he shouldn't have needed to like like when he decides he's just gonna walk across the desert to get to his grandfather's, like you should be dead, okay? I kind of want you to die because that's a level of stupidity worthy of dying alone in the desert. Um, and and when he keeps not listening to people telling him, like you know what he he goes to Cairo and he's like, okay, I'm sure you don't know what you're talking about. I definitely know this better than you do. And his friend he wants to see the real Cairo, and his friend is showing him. The real Cairo. It's just not what he expected it to be, you know? Yeah. It's, it's a different part of Cairo than what he had, like, built up in his mind. Um, and it's just, so, like, it, it's just, it can be really frustrating. And if I didn't care about the character and I wasn't invested in the show, it wouldn't be frustrating. So, so yeah. while I'm bitching about this, this character's choices, it, I think that actually just points to how effective the writing is, if that makes sense. You talk for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it does. I think it does make sense. And raw, the entire concept of the fact that the show very readily acknowledges, especially through his sister um, Dina, how just ridiculously privileged Rami is, both mm -hmm. culturally, but also just generally, that he can get away with anything, and no one kind of cares about what he's doing ex until it really causes a problem for his family, which is why he just packs up and leaves for Cairo because he thinks it'll solve 
all of his issues. So I think that the show's awareness of how Rami s- situates himself and acts and the fact that he even just straight up says, yeah, no, just let them have them say and then do whatever you want is both a good piece of advice as a young person wanting to do something, but it's also you get to do that, Rami, because mm-hmm. you can. As a man, you get mm-hmm. to do this. As Dina does not. And anytime Dina tries to do something or um, Masa, my Mayasa? Mayasa? Mysa, yeah. Mysa tries to do something, it both, it bites both of them on the ass. And it causes them nothing but problems when they try to step out of the roles that have been prescribed to them. Whereas Rami has options available to him, which is, I think for him, part of the problem is that confusion and the fact that he doesn't know quite how to reconcile the fact that he does actually want to practice his faith as much as possible. But at the same time, God, sex is really great, apparently. (laughs) And he really wants to enjoy that. And, but then also just makes stupid mistakes. Like, buddy, I know you're in your twenties, but why did you think buying a fidget spinner for the kid of the woman who married woman you're having an affair with was a smart idea? What, what just, what, what made you think that on any sort of level? And it's just, again, operating on that degree of privilege and insulation and not being able to see past his own nose for, and not really being able to think about others. So he's always constantly thinking about himself and what he wants to experience. And I think that the show limiting responses to that for the first basic half, basically not even half until basically the 10th episode where um, his cousin goes, no, this is Egypt and we don't know where God is anymore. This is why we're doing this. And this is how we're living through this after the revolution that you're so hyped about killed a bunch of our friends and jailed a bunch of them. And we don't want to talk about it. This is how we're dealing with this. This is, this is like you said, this is the real Egypt now for us, of uh, this stature. This is what we live with now. But also you wanted the real Egypt and you wanted a real Muslim experience here. So here's a stuffed pigeon that you seem very hesitant to eat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so all of this of like not only calling attention to his limited perspective when he goes to the very place that he was expecting to get it opened in a very different way and then having it opened for him in a very, in this other way of like, no, this is a lot more complicated than you thought it was. And here's why. And then him grappling with that and then making the decision that he makes, that he makes with in conjunction with someone else at the end of the second, at the end of the 10th, in the finale. Um, I think it's just good and poses like a number of questions for the show going forward, which it will be able to explore as as it was picked up for a second season. So I think that, again, the writing is really effective and um, Yosef, I think, is very good in this role as well of like... He's very comfortable. It's not like super autobiographical or, but he's also acknowledged. It's not super different from me in terms of like a performance level, which is smart, but there are just moments of really good quiet. I think that he really latches onto and does a good job with. Yeah, definitely. And he he's just very comfortable. Um, He feels very 
the the character is fully fleshed and just he's very inhabited right from the beginning yeah. um and and he, again the show just feels so natural you're like oh wait this is the first show that actually depicts a religious muslim as a main as like a main character the main character but even just a main character that i think i've seen on american tv and granted it's hulu but whatever you guys know what i mean counts. uh yeah counts uh and and I, you know, it's just, it makes you think, like, how often do you see characters go sit in church in an Easter episode, for example? Several shows had episodes just titled Easter this 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 year on, on American TV. Um, and it's it's so unusual to see, like, here's people just hanging out at the mosque and here's what it means to go to, to, to prayer and to, to, you know, like, to go to <laughs> the, like, the, the couple who um, the husband's on the phone and the, the wife has the kid, like, just that interaction we've never seen, at least I've never seen. I shouldn't really say we, because I'm sure that it has been depicted somewhere. And it's just I haven't seen it before. But on American TV, I haven't seen that before. And it was really nice to see. Um, and it's also has so there's so much more to recommend this show than just, hey, get a window into a part of American life you haven't seen before. But I feel like it's important to specify, hey, get a window into a part of American life that you haven't seen before. So uh, let's talk. Uh, let's talk about some of these other performances, because uh, obviously Yusuf is really good. Uh, in as the lead, uh, I think that he's just such a welcome cat. But the friends are really important to my enjoyment of Rami, all of them, and I, I yep. really enjoy their dynamic. Ahmed's my favorite, and I want. I just need a whole episode about what happens to Ahmed uh-huh. because his life. I just I have so many questions about what he what what his life is. I have many questions about, <laughs> yes, I, I also do. Um, but I want to, let's start, I mean, like, I want to move on to young Rami. And strawberries. Of course, people will recognize him from season two of American Vandal. He was on. That's, uh, what, he, that's what I know him from. Okay. Yeah. And he was on the, he was terrific on The Sinner season two, even though I didn't like that season at all. Uh, he was one of the the, he, the kids on Alex Inc. And he's got, he's done plenty of other things. Um, uh, that's a Elisha Hennig, I think Elisha, Elisha, um, and he, so he's he's really terrific in that episode. This this flashback to nine eleven through the eyes of of I don't even know how old he's supposed to be, but a middle school, yeah, yeah, middle schooler uh, who's trying to just like figure out how to jerk off for the first time. So his friends will mostly just so his friends will leave him alone, um, and then. 9-11 happens uh yeah i thought it like the the lens that this episode takes on that experience in that day i think is really well uh i mean it's it's it's, it's so well executed the experience the way we stay in his point of view we just follow him through his day the the dreams uh that we the nightmare sort of that he has is terrifying and so upsetting and i think that all the they did such a great job with the the details in that episode um, to really keep it in the perspective of a middle schooler. I thought it worked like gangbusters. Yeah, it's a it's a really strong episode. I mean, having making the decision uh, while I was watching, I just went, "Wow, we're gonna do the we're gonna do the kid flashback episode in the fourth episode." That's that's kind of bold, guys. I mean, uh-huh. you know that Atlanta did this like in season two, right? Like yeah. they they waited. 
Um, it was season two, right? Yeah, I think so. Or, yeah, because yeah, they've only been two. Yeah. It feels um, like there's they, been more, but no. Yeah, no, it does. Uh, but, you know, they, they waited. And then it's like, oh, this 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 veered a little bit mm-hmm. um, where I was not expecting it to. And it also, like, signals sort of the show transitioning into something else. While Do the Ramadan is good, it's... Strawberries, I think, sets the tone much more going forward for what the show wants to do and say um, from the using the strawberries very much as a callback in the finale, which is really effectively executed, I think. And just the decision to have like a five minute conversation with Dream Bin Laden mm-hmm. is really good and very ballsy, I think, in a lot of ways. <laughs> And yeah, I want to have been like a fly in in the room for that meeting with Hulu. Right. So we're gonna cast Bin Laden. Wait a, and he's gonna just be hanging out in New Jersey. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it's delightful because you get you get this, and then like a couple like two weeks ago, the Good Fight can't show an animated short about China because mm-hmm. CBS is like CBS about it. Yeah, and. All, that whole shebang and it's just like we live in a different we live in such an interesting media landscape kate <laughs> yes yes it is yes it is interesting at times certainly yes we'll talk more about that listeners when we do our the good fight season uh spotlight after it finishes up um but no that, that i mean because i think the the focus of this episode um, just saying so close to Rami's experience, like, cause we see the dad putting up the flag, right? We yes, see, which is such a great moment. Oh, it's great. It's terrific. And then coming back to it later in the mom's ep- spotlight episode, the flag is still up. You know, I think that's really interesting too. And just, uh, the way, like, so then we get these little, de- like, these little moments outside of him, but really, I mean, I just, I can't imagine what his experience was, uh, growing mm-hmm. up. And then to, to end, that that char- character space to end that episode introducing his friend uh, with I think is muscular Steven. dystrophy, yeah, Stevie, yeah, yeah, yeah so. and then to be like, oh, this is when they met or became good friends, um, starting like because of this experience that he had in school where all his friends like just ditching him because they, you know, because they're they believe maybe he's a terrorist and they just don't know how to process and handle what they're experiencing um and are shitty um yeah it was it was certainly it was really it was really well done and uh it was really affecting i thought that the um like just the right amount of like dream logic you know too and little kid Mm -hmm. logic or i shouldn't say little kid that's you know that's infantilizing but you know young adult logic um so i I thought that was really uh, really effective it it's probably my favorite of all the, i think the best of all the the episodes i guess for me but i also really like the dina spotlight episode i also really like the mom spotlight episode um do, do you have a particular favorite um the mom spotlight episode i think is probably one of the stronger episodes if only because um the performance from haim abbas is just really good like mm-hmm. there's a lot there and also, like, I feel like this is the Frenchiest French person I've ever seen on a television show in a very long time. Like, he's so French that it, it's it's borderline offensive. It, no, it is kind of offensive. He has an entire discussion, French French philosophical discussion about making a sandwich with turkey and peanut butter, and then introduces a cat. And I'm just like, 
Oh my god, this is awful. This is pure new wave, French new wave nonsense. <laughs> and she's falling for it. That's how lonely she is, is that she's falling for this nonsense. Ugh. Um and so I I just really like that episode and I like that whole sort of encapsulation of this is a deeply lonely woman who has no connections outside of her family and doesn't know how to make connections outside of her family mm-hmm. and tries to treat Lyft drivers as her children. And that is not how people who hire Lyfts want to be treated. And so making a connection with another adult um, who satisfies her intellectually and has the promise of some sort of sexual sort of promises uh, some sort of sexual satisfaction as well. I think yeah, is really or just good. like even sees her, yeah, as sees a person her. as a full yeah. person. Yeah, and I'm not even convinced that he does either, but she thinks he does. Yes, um, yeah, yeah, because he just sees her as this woman who speaks French in this land of people who won't let me smoke in cars. God damn it! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, indeed. Well, and he's not really observing her. No, either. Yeah, um, which we which we discover um but i uh, don't no, i think i absolutely agree it's a really powerful episode i mean to the way that the season keeps giving you pieces of these different characters like farouk is just terrible at the end of that episode oh god he's, he's so awful he's really it's- really bad and then when we get the scene of him talking to rami and talking about the cassette tapes then yeah. he's he's so great there you know yeah. and like it's so so yeah, he's all of these things. These all these characters are all of these different things. Well, I mean, not only like those two things, but I also think about like him talking to young Dina about turning her into a like using oh, a bottle of coke and then yeah. taking a sip out of the bottle. Like, yeah. buddy, no, you ruined your metaphor. You did something real weird with that metaphor, and yeah. then no, not yep. okay. Definitely <laughs> weird. Well, and then and and then when in that scene with uh with the the uncle who's just terrible yes like yes, he's so yes. uncomfortable and he clearly hates this this the the that's gotta be this that's this the white the mom's brother right uh i think so yeah because i mean yeah yes, it, it is it's it's she I, it felt more like a like a brother-in-law than a brother dynamic um and but he you know and he, he's swallowing all of that because his son needs a job and it's clearly painting him so much. So all of these things that his piece of shit brother, brother-in-law is saying, you know, so like, so again, all of these different pieces of a person, like I, they, if they feel, these characters feel really well, are they are very well drawn and they just, I, it feels like these pieces do fit together into a person as opposed to just being what the, the given scene needs. And that's uh-huh. down to the, the writing, but also the performances, I would say as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, what about uh, the <laughs> Michaela episode and Stevie? It's fine. Like, it basically, like, I think it's probably one of the weaker, especially, like, after coming off, like, Refugees and mm-hmm. uh, Name It Could Pass, or however you say that in French. N- and pas. Thank you. Um, My French is coming in handy. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very heavy-handed. Um, given the situation of the episode, um, but it's all, it also just kind of goes exactly where I'm expecting it to go. So it's there's not a whole lot of tension there for me in either way, shape, or form. 
And I the only thing I'm glad about is that the ending comes not from the um, convenience store uh, clerk, but from uh, Salma's husband um, connection. Because I was just like worried that that was going to be the payoff for this episode that triggered something else. And I was just like, oh, thank goodness it wasn't the convenience store guy because that would have been bad. <laughs> but yeah, it's just, it's it's fine. Um, it the I think the biggest problem with it is, is like, it doesn't, after coming off those two episodes, it doesn't give, it doesn't give Stevie that kind of agency that we've given these other two episodes. And that by refocusing this and having Stevie off screen to have a discussion about betrayal and not even a particularly good discussion about betrayal, even from jilted high school girl standards. Um, it's just kind of meh. Did you have a different opinion about it or? Well, what I thought was interesting is how it tracks to him drinking. Uh, and, and that this is the moment when he drinks. Right. And the fact that he, like, he's got like a bit of a thing about it before then um even yeah. where he like he has the pot gummy but but then he's still being not he's, he's still like there's an element of judginess about people drinking right like yeah. and he's he's very much like you you we each make our own choices kind of a thing but he clearly thinks he's a better person because he doesn't drink or he's a better muslim because he doesn't drink uh in in a way that doesn't really get checked um i think until the end of the season a little bit more we get the start of that with the uh as he's coming down off the 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 gummy um but but yeah that yeah it's interesting for me that that like because i was just expecting him to mime and not actually drink Mm -hmm. you know because she wouldn't have noticed necessarily um because of the you know condition she was she was in she was so upset um and so i thought that was that was what was interesting for me about that part of it and um uh yeah the it, it, the episode it feels i mean i i enjoyed it more than you did i think but it it certainly uh it's it's a transitional episode it's not the right. stevie's focus episode that you know maybe you'd be hurt ho- hoping for instead it is very much still about rami that's fine because we need to like like you said it needs to provide a transition to the last two episodes where they go to where he goes to cairo yeah and so in that sense it's effective but it's it's structural as opposed to thematic almost i think yeah okay let's talk about the end of the season then because i don't understand what the show's doing yeah having him be attracted to his cousin i don't get it i don't know why I mean, it just feels very artificial to me in a way that most of the rest of the show doesn't and it feels just very tv and i don't know why like there is there's already enough drama with i met this person i really like but she lives in cairo and I live in Jersey, right? I think there's plenty of stuff to like. So why why do you think they decided let's have a forbidden romance between cousins? Yeah, I'm not sure, and I'm not sure if there's like a cultural thing in yeah. which this is okay on certain mm-hmm. levels. Depending, um, I did 
as a joke, I appreciated Ahmed being like, it only goes up by like 0.14% for the child deficiencies. So mm. you're really okay. What you need to check are your grandparents to make sure that they aren't cousins. <laughs> and I was just like, this is amusing and yeah. also terrible. But yeah, I don't I don't know uh, what the, the tension that they want to suss out here is. Like, I, I just don't know. And if... In this moment, they're sort of transitioning them out of characters and into symbols of something that each uh, the other person wants in some way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. Of like, Rami very much wants this experience of this mm-hmm. Egypt and living in this particular uh, practice of Islam, and but she's not given enough agency to say she wants that kind of an experience in the U.S. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Which I don't think is true. Like, I think she's quite happy, um, but that's also my read yeah. um, on it as well. So, it, but then they keep calling, they very explicitly say, but we're cousins. And so it's like, it doesn't, it it gets really sticky. And I don't know what they want to say with it. And that's really the problem. Um, and I'm, I don't know that they knew in that moment what they wanted. Yeah, I'm not sure. And and uh, it, I mean, it, I'm connecting it to his trend of choosing uh, potential romantic partners who are taboo in yeah. some in various ways and just like self-sabotaging in that way from what he says that he wants. Yeah, um, yeah. And and she, you're absolutely right. She doesn't feel like enough of a character. She's she's like she's very like she's like two steps away from manic pixie. Yes, she is. And they if they're gonna keep that character around, that's something they need to address quickly in the next season. Um, and and it just uh, after you think he's like got had some sort of a breakthrough, it just feels like such an immature way to end the show. You know, uh, in in that I. For like an immature choice from the character, not the show itself, but for the character, yeah. uh, we're, we're in, maybe that's the point that he hasn't learned anything. You know that yeah, he, a sort of Don Draper answer to the season. It's a very Don Draper answer. It really is. Um, and so that that's frustrating. And uh, and just to be like, well, but she's like, she, you know, she's not leaning in for the kiss. She doesn't stop the kiss, right? But she's not like there's not like a but what cousins thing from her, right? She's like yeah. it's it's very much like a but okay, but we both realize what this you know like it doesn't the the energy of that scene just feels very much it, going back to like his his privilege and yeah. in in a, just a way that um is very confusing to me for what if anything they were trying to say about the character and his journey over the course of the season so yeah i was it was very puzzling to me yeah and hopefully they address it very quickly like you said um though also, like, not too quickly, because that actor, I think, is really, really good. Oh, yeah, she's good, yeah. And so I'd like to see more of her in this, um, but at the same time, I know that they can't keep shooting in Cairo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I mean, do you have any other episodes or performances you wanted to make sure to mention? No, because I think we've we've done a really good job covering everyone. I did appreciate that we didn't get, like, a full Farouk episode mm-hmm. um because i thought we were going to after we got like two really back-to-back episodes about that 
But I appreciated that we didn't and that Farouk's influence is established through both flashbacks, but also in the present day of having these conversations. And so I feel like that's enough, at least for that this season of like, give us these, give us, give us um, Dina and give us Masa, um, but don't worry about Farouk right now. Yeah. And I think that's a good call. Yeah, and then again, the balance between the characters works really well, and that's something at least something for season two, um, so that you don't, you know, use all your spot, you know, point of view characters in the the first season. Yeah, it was is a strong first season, and certainly one I recommend. Uh, it, like mm-hmm. I binged it; you can watch it really easily. You can, if you want to binge it, go for it. If you want to parcel it, you know, like just like you know, parse it out. That works too. Um, but but yeah, it's it's a really strong freshman outing and one that I'm glad is like at least made some ripples. I expect to see this at the end of the year on some of like the best of like new shows yeah. for this yeah. year. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's one definitely worth seeking out because I know it it flew right past my radar until I saw a bunch of people talking about it like a week or two after it premiered, kind of catching up with it. Um, so now here we are a month after it premiered, saying, "Hey, watch the show." <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um yeah, I think it is worth watching. Um I think that you can binge it pretty easily. Mm-hmm. Um at least the first 5. Um I had to basically take a break after 6 and 7 because they were deeply uncomfortable episodes. Yeah. Um and I was kind of I was like I should really watch episode 8 right now so I can watch something else uh, before we record but then I just went I don't have it in me I'm gonna have to save those three episodes for Friday (laughs) which is what happened because I was just like I can't watch 6 and 7 like Mm -hmm. and then watch something else um watch another episode of the show because it was just like it was too much yeah fair enough Fair enough. Well, uh, listeners, let us know if you've checked out Rami season one and what you think of it and if you're looking forward to season two. Um, but on that note, we will wrap up our episode. So a few show notes here. You can find a post for the episode over at theteleverse.org where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can like our page on Facebook and start a conversation there. You can email us, theteleverse.gmail.com. And of course, we're up in, we are up in uh, uh, Stitcher and we're up at iTunes with an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed. We appreciate ratings and reviews both in iTunes and Stitcher. And, of course, we are both on uh, Twitter. I am at the Televerse. You are? At Noel RK. Thank you so much for a great week, Kate. Thank you so much, Noel. And thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Televerse. 